0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You're listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. If you want to get in touch with the show, email us at IllegalMotionPodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at Illegal underscore Motion. Thanks for downloading. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In beautiful, warm, sunny Los Angeles, this is the professor, Matt Perkins. And joining us from the second city, a man who's doing uh, uh, some pretty mean work out in the bowling alleys, uh, <laughs> our intrepid blogger, Josh Cook.
1: Well, it's funny you say it's nice and sunny in L.A. because it's actually been in the 50s here in Chicago. So we are
0: enjoying Mother Nature as well. Excellent, excellent. Well, uh, the coach will be joining us here in just a couple minutes, um, but we are going to go ahead and get started with some big off-season topics. Later in the episode, we'll be talking a bunch of new coordinator hires, as a lot of that has gone on since we were last together. Um, However, we have a couple other topics we want to get to first. And uh, the first of these is sort of a little outside the box for us. Um, And we're going to talk about the very unfortunate death of uh tyler sash and so josh i'm gonna let you sort of um get the conversation started here
1: yeah um so tyler sash as we know passed away back in uh september after doing the whole investigation autopsy everything like that we found out in late january just a few weeks ago that um he had had cte and it was stage two cte which is pretty far along. Like that's usually what a player in their sixties experiences. And it's someone who's had a full on NFL career. And I don't think enough people, be it big time news organizations like ESPN, Sports Illustrated, I don't think mid-range things like, you know, local blogs, the local papers in Iowa, and certainly I don't think smaller outlets like Our Humble Show and things like that have really highlighted something that's not being discussed with Tyler Satch's passing, and that is his NFL career was remarkably short. In two injury-plagued seasons, he appeared in just 23 games, Matt. Oh, my god. And he didn't start a single one. And he had 25 – combined tackles for his entire career. So CTE is not an NFL thing, obviously. That's what Tyler Sash's passing has shown us.
0: No, it's a football thing. It's not just NFL. I think it's football at all levels. A guy like Sash has probably been playing since he was, what, six, eight? Exactly. So um,
1: while it's great that college, or that the NFL has made such helmet-to-helmet stuff an issue. They seem to be doing a lot of helmet research. This is something systemic, and I don't think the NCAA has done a very good job. I don't think the college conferences have done a very good job. The targeting rule is completely asinine, where as soon as you make a football move, you can get blown up. Like, You catch the ball and make one step, and suddenly you're a protected receiver. It makes no sense. The blindside hit from, like, you throw an interception, and then an offensive player gets blown up, that's never discussed. It's never called. No, in fact, it's glorified in a lot of ways. Yeah, so that's a concern. The high school level... I doubt that high schools are equipped at all dealing with concussions and on down the line, junior high, Pop Warner. It's just not. And I wish that more outlets were talking about this because all the headlines I saw was former NFLer Tyler Sash dead, and then it became former NFLer Tyler Sash confirmed CTE. And it's like no, all of his damage was not done in 25 career tackles.
0: No, his damage was done in the uh, did he redshirt at Iowa? Um, either four or five years he played at Iowa yeah. plus high school, Pop Warner, all that kind of stuff. And at least in my, you know, high school, you know, career and stuff like we had the only medical person we had on, you know, on the, you know, there on the sidelines with us was a trainer. And, you know, she's not, she was not, you know, she did not have the uh, training or the skills to diagnose concussion and things like that. And so like, if you got hit hard in the head, you, it was just like a stinger or it was just, Oh, you know, you got your bell rung, get back in there. You know, you, and there's, there was no real way to identify um, you know, truly the symptoms of a concussion, especially right in the moment.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's jarring also for me because I mean, Tyler Sash played at Iowa, his senior year was, uh, 2010. So this is a guy that I saw tons of his games and, he was known as a big hitting safety, and now that you look back on it, it's kind of like, oh, man, how many of those hits that we cheered for in Kinnick are just debilitating him? And obviously, I do this show. Obviously, I love football. And, you know, in the off season, I kind of disgusted at myself for loving football so much. And, like, I don't watch the NFL, so, like, Sunday through Friday, I kind of am a little wishy-washy and then come saturday morning i'm like yelling at my tv to kill the guy I know. It's, it's it's just like cultural and i don't know how we solve it i know there's been a lot of discussion and you played rugby so i would love to get your opinion on this but it seems like one of the more common threads is well let's just get rid of helmets
0: well, okay. So I played. For those of you who don't know, I played rugby for ten years, and I I love the sport of rugby. And rugby, you know, does not have as many concussions as football. Um, because you know, some people say it's because of the lack of helmets, and I'd say that's part of it. But part, but a bigger part of it is the way that you are taught to tackle in the two different forms. Um, when you are playing, um, when you are playing rugby you are taught to put your head behind um behind the basically the legs of the ball tackler uh, sorry the ball carrier and so what you do is you put your head behind them you wrap up and bring them to the ground now in football you're always taught to put your head in front of the runner to stop their forward progress as much as possible this is where you get the knees to the head um and a lot of those really uh hard hits that cause concussion And so I think a lot of it is, you know, in terms of how you're actually taught to tackle. So, um, you know, obviously my, you know, ironically enough, my rugby career ended because of a concussion. It was not during tackling, but it was when I was trying to tackle a 350-pound Samoan who elbowed me in the temple um, <laughs> while he was carrying the ball. So that, um, you know, oh, while well, it's kind of ironic, I talk about, oh, the lack of concussions in rugby, for, you know, for the most part, that is actually sort of how it goes down. And I don't think it's necessarily because of the helmet. While, you know, when you put a helmet on, you obviously start to feel you know, invincible, <laughs> and you, you know, turn into... a complete berserker, I think a lot of it is also sort of how we teach tackling. And that sound we just heard, I believe, is the coach joining us. And so, uh, Coach, do you want to, uh, you know, throw in your two cents on uh, CTE and tackling and everything like that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, I think it's – you know, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think that, you know, the way that tackling is taught is putting these people – is putting guys in harm's way. Um, I think a lot, of your, a lot of your concussions, actually, a lot of your CTE cases are, are not those major concussions that you get from those terrible collisions. It's a lot of undiagnosed minor concussions that happen, you know, when you, quote, get your bell rung. And, and a lot of it is it's just unnecessary, uh, I guess, unnecessary contact to the head where you're taught to wrap across across the ball carrier. And and you 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 said it perfectly. Like the differences in rugby tackling and the differences in football tackling, and and also I don't know if you threw out a statistic before I got before I jumped on, but uh, you know talking about the the concussions in rugby are a little bit lower, or a lot lower actually. Um, and I think it's just the way that it's being taught. Now, if you look at the Seattle Seahawks, I think that um, they're and, and they're probably not the only program, but they're the most prominent uh, program that is. Uh, that is leading a charge in, in the change of the way tackling is taught. They call it hawk tackling. Um, they learn from a rugby expert, and they, they try to teach and try to get the head out of tackling, mm-hmm. and, and they do different drills to, to do so. So I think they're on the revolutionary end, and I think a lot of people are starting to kind of pick up on it. So um, you're going to see a lot of change with the way the game is is taught.
0: Yeah. And I think one other thing, just to just jump off that point when it comes to tackling in the two different sports um, in rugby, if you don't wrap the player up, if you don't literally wrap the man and go down with him to the ground, it's a penalty and you're, and you're sent off the field into the sin bin for 10 minutes. Every time, uh, full stop. Now, yet we glorify the guys who just go in, you know, head first, uh, shoulder first. Don't wrap up the guy and try for the big hit for the, you know, the hit stick. And that's, I think, you know, that's part of the problem as well.
2: Yeah, and also, also, Josh, I'm sorry. uh, uh, A lot of concussions come from not even shots to the head. It's just I've seen some. I've seen a good bit of concussions come from. Uh, a safety putting a shoulder to somebody's chest and just the the whiplash effect of of taking a hit like that will, will give you a concussion. So, you know, a lot of hits that you don't think would be concussion worthy are actually some of the most common ways to get a concussion.
1: I think what's going to be interesting and um, my dad has hinted at this, that he's certainly considering doing it, but um, my dad played football all the way up through college very, very tiny college um, D3 school and never played in the pros, obviously. And he said that he doesn't really ever remember getting a concussion, but he's kind of toying with the idea that when he eventually passes away, letting them look at his brain, which would be fascinating. The, The other thing that I'm curious about, and obviously there's no way to do this, but not just head injuries, but also just think about like, just the terrible hits we've seen to knees and stuff. I'm wondering if there's any possible way, and I doubt there is, to examine data from, like, the way back, like the Red Range era, when it was leather helmets, the game was slower, they didn't have the body armor on their shoulder pads.
2: They like, probably sustained more lower body, like, can't walk type injuries. Because I, I think that was – I think just because it was slower, closer together, they didn't have the the – you know, they didn't have the technique to have the big big hit and concussion stuff. I mean, I'm sure that it existed, but I think they probably got a lot of, you know, those guys probably, when their careers were over, got had a lot of shoulder injuries, had a lot of leg injuries, stuff like that, I would I'd be willing to guess.
0: Yeah, but I think the other thing to go along with that is sort of uh, the development of, uh, you know, sports training and stuff like that. Guys are bigger, faster, stronger now. And you know, playing the Red Grange era. I mean, I don't know how big Red Grange was, but it wasn't that big. Um, you know, it, it's not like he's um, Todd Gurley out there or Leonard Fournette. Um, they,
2: they didn't train back then. They just, Whoa. I mean, they, awesome they just
0: and they were smoking cigarettes at halftime.
2: Yeah, I mean, they just they just took some some time off from their job to go play football. Mm-hmm. That's, <laughs> I mean, that's exactly how it was.
1: Um, according to Google, Red Grange was 5'11", 175.
0: All right. Yeah. So he's a small D-back now. (laughs) And he was, you know, you know, the great, you know, the greatest halfback of his era. One of the greatest the game's ever seen. So, um, it's, you know, obviously, you know, it's changed so much over the course of decades and decades and the sport will continue to evolve. And, you know, I know, you know, there's some people prognosticating about, Oh, the death of football, we won't be playing football in 20, 30 years. I don't think that's the case. I think the game will change and develop just like, you know, just like other sports do. I
2: mean, there's, they've been saying that for for the whole lifespan of football. I mean, football's almost died probably five times, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the first time uh, they, they felt it was too barbaric and Teddy Roosevelt actually saved it um, way back when and then uh, right before the development or right before the the development of the forward Pass, it almost died because people just weren't interested in it it was just gonna go by the wayside and then the forward Pass just was too inconsistent and it, it got ugly for a little bit then it almost died again and then as as the forward Pass evolved, as the equipment and training, and technology improved. The game steadily improved with with that.
0: Definitely, definitely. Any last words uh, you want to add there, Josh?
1: No, I think we've uh, had a good discussion on this. And I guess just to put a bow on it, Tyler Sash, incredible player to watch live. Just sad as hell that it came to this ultimate conclusion
0: yeah rest in you know rest in peace so um well we 're going to move there from uh off to um you know the other you know real hot button issue this off season has been jim Harbaugh um, and whether it 's his recruiting tactics or um, the way he's setting up camps satellite camps, and Florida using spring break for that kind of stuff. There's a lot of controversy surrounding this. Now, Mark Emmert, the president of the NCAA, has come out and said he's not doing anything illegal by the bylaws. But, uh, Coach, people down in your neck of the woods are not happy with him.
2: No, absolutely not. I mean, he's just – it's just because it's new and a new way of doing things. And, you know, it's just – they know that it's revolutionized or he's trying to revolutionize the game and they just don't like it. And it's going to add a where twenty four seven three sixty five is not even enough to uh, to recruit and to work. So, I, you know, it, it's it's definitely off the grid. It's definitely off the radar, and and it's definitely strange. But it's also smart. It's for a program like Michigan who doesn't have a whole lot of home state talent. They're okay, but you know, it's certainly not the level of Florida no. and. <laughs> That's an understatement, by the way. Um, so I think he's doing – I think Jim Harbaugh is extremely genius to have outreach down in Florida and, and, and do this. It's off the radar. It's strange. You know, some of the things he's done has been off the wall, like sleeping over at a, at a prospect's house and uh, sitting in a tree and doing some crazy borderline stalker stuff. Uh, it's, it's thir- certainly strange, but, uh, and I don't, to be honest, I don't know how I feel about it. I, I, I go back and forth on it. I, at times I'm like, man, that's just brilliant. At other times I'm like, man, that's ridiculous. It's still brilliant, but it's absolutely ridiculous and unnecessary and I wish they wouldn't do it, but I don't know. I waffle back and forth between that.
0: Josh.
1: I find it disgusting.
2: Um, I think when you
1: operate in the gray area like this, you're doing something wrong. And it reminds me of, like, the whole NASCAR thing. If if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. And I can't help but think of a funny story from, like, four or five years ago where Ashton Kutcher, of all people, um, he's from Cedar Rapids. He was at an Iowa football game and got his picture taken with some recruits. And the Iowa self-reported that to the NCAA and the NCAA could have had a violation for it, but they cleared it. So this is a celebrity on the sideline. And for the signing day hoopla, you know, Michigan rolls out all these celebrities. Some didn't even go to the school. Like Derek Jeter had no connection. And it's like, that is obviously pandering to not this class, because those kids are already signed. It's pandering to the next class. And this – Secondary, like, camp, satellite camp thing is also garbage. And the NCAA proves yet again how ill-equipped they are to do anything. They butchered Penn State's investigation and neutered their program. They completely butchered the Miami investigation and neutered that program. North Carolina is operating outside the law for about a decade now, with nothing happening, Um, there's been other programs to completely violate stuff. The worst of all is USC. What they did to them was completely over the line. And now they can't even prevent something as obvious as what Michigan's doing. I mean, why doesn't Iowa go and do a satellite camp right in the middle of Dallas, Texas? I mean, like, it's obvious what Michigan's doing. And it's obviously garbage.
0: My my, my my biggest issue is not sort of the idea of satellite camps themselves. It is the spring break practices. Now, as, I mean, you are taking away sort of, you know, spring break is um, a time where students are supposed to be able to take a break from classes, relax. And
2: even football players look forward to spring break because typically, you know, Typically, they get spring break. And I know at every college program, they they break spring practice to give the kids the chance to go on spring break. They take that entire week, and they say, go have fun, come back, and we'll resume practice. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I really don't like that. I really, you know, I think you're going to see a lot of burnout, not only players, but coaches too. I mean, coaches relish that time as well. I mean, that's, you know, I, I, that's time where, the coaches will take a trip with their families. You know, yeah, yeah. a lot of times coaches go together as a group with their families during that time. And 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 when you take that away, you know you're going to have a lot of staff turnover each and every year because people don't want to be there and work around the clock with no vacations. If you're going to take them all away to have certain to get to get what little leg up you're going to get. In recruiting, I mean, the idea behind it is absolutely brilliant, all right? But operating in the gray area, everything that Josh just said, uh, I, I just – I don't like it. I think it's brilliant, but I just – you know, and, and I, I told you I've been waffling on it, and, and I'm waffling back to the other side. I just don't like it. I, I just don't like it. There's too much – there's too much gray area in there. There's too much just – I mean – it reeks of desperation. It it just, I don't know. It's just not. I don't like it, and I don't like the whole practicing on spring break. Um, when you typically haven't, it. guys, that's going to be a culture shock for. You um, I mean, a, a, a lot. There's a lot of problems that could that could come out of that. guy for a week in Florida with downtime. I mean, I don't know. It's like. What's insane, too, is Harbaugh's,
1: like, not even learning from his own past experiences. He – people don't remember how he left Stanford, but a lot of people were kind of feeling at the time when he left Stanford that, all right, this is good. This had kind of run its course. And Stanford got a leap forward with David Shaw, And then he did the same thing at the Niners, where he drove them into the ground and was completely a disaster at the end of his tenure. He's doing it at Michigan, but, like, on steroids. And if you look at the last year, we talked about this at length. This team clearly hit a wall. They messed up that Michigan State game, then barely beat Minnesota, needed double overtime to beat Indiana, slept walked against Penn State, and then got butchered by Ohio State. This is a team that wore down just last year. And now he's amping up practices, taking away spring break.
0: Yeah, I, you, you really gotta worry about burnout for like the players and the coaches. I I, I think I I've thought since day one
1: he wanted to get back in the NFL. And we know he had a big rivalry with Pete Carroll. When they were at USC and Stanford, Pete Carroll has college titles, and Pete Carroll has a Super Bowl ring now. I'm wondering if Harbaugh is trying to win a national title either next year or the year after, and then go back to the NFL. It needs to like speed up his timeline and doesn't give two hoots about his players or coaches.
0: Or the program, because I mean, if they, if this, if he keeps operating in, in you right, and like we talk about these shades of gray, they uh, the NCAA is going to come up, come down on him at some point. Oh yeah,
2: he's always been a me guy, though. I, I don't think he's ever been a wee guy. I don't think he's ever. You know, I think he's always done things that's benefited himself, and and he's and part of me, you know, I, I want to bring up this angle too. I mean, he's just trying to get. I think he's doing a lot of this stuff to get his name out there, so that these NFL teams won't forget about him.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that's a that's a really interesting point. And he's operating under sort of you know the old cliche of um, you know any press is good press. There's no such thing as bad press, um, and I don't necessarily agree with that.
2: No, I don't either.
0: All right. Well, um, now we've got one head coach there in Jim Harbaugh, and you know he lost a, a you know a couple of his. Uh coordinators this past season. And so we are actually going to move to talking about some of the new coordinator hires uh, across college football. And, uh, you know, I think the biggest one or the, you know, the biggest move is uh, probably LSU's hiring of Wisconsin defensive coordinator Dave Aranda, um, who in three years at Wisconsin um, had uh, the number one overall defense um, the number two passing defense, number three rushing defense um, in the country. Now, this is a guy, obviously, who's three fourteen. Um, is predicated on just you know moving guys around, having guys coming at all different angles. And uh, so, coach, I'm interested to see or interested to hear, I should say, how you think he will fit with LSU's um, you know current players and the recruits that they got this year.
2: Well, I mean, I, I think he'll I think he'll be a good fit. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what he does this year. Um, you know, bringing in a new system, new way of doing things. But I mean, I, I think he had, I think he had the guys playing great at, at Wisconsin. I think that you know, you probably watch more Wisconsin football than I did, so you probably know more about his style of coaching and, and things like that. But I, I think he's going to bring something that you know they've been craving since John Chavis left. I think he's, I think he's going to be better than John Chavis. Um, I think he's going to be a lot better. A huge upgrade from Kevin Steele. I think you're going to see a lot more organization. I think you're going to just see a lot more guys knowing where to go. And and I think the biggest key for LSU is is maybe even just simplifying, just finding your identity and sticking with it and doing the things that you need to do to put yourself ahead of the you know ahead of the curve. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah,
0: but you know what? I think that's actually you know that is one of the i think critiques that people have had about you know moving to LSU is that his defense is is you know it it seems sort of basic on the outside but it's actually very complex and requires a lot of really cerebral cerebral players um to really to really shine and you know for better or for worse LSU is not exactly known for having uh the most intelligent players
2: <laughs> yeah you're right you're right on that and that you know again you with any new coordinators that come in you you, you wonder about that but um you know we'll see what, i mean he's gonna have a lot of good good talent lsu's been a young team for yeah, years he will have a way
0: more talent to work with than he ever had at wisconsin
2: so we'll see what he does and 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 i guess what'll show his ability as a coach is his ability to adjust and adjust to the uh to the personnel to, to the personnel so you know, you know that he's getting personnel that is not, not as smart. He's getting personnel that is way more talented. No offense. Um,
0: None taken.
2: And uh, so he's got to kind of, you know, if he wants to succeed, he's going to have to simplify. He's going to have to find a way to implement and make guys, uh, you know, make his scheme fit his guys versus his guys fit his scheme. You know, it's. Uh, you know, I, I think that you see too many of these people. that have their schemes and, and their egos getting the way of it. They're like, "Come hell or high water, I'm going to make. I'm this scheme is going to fit. I'm going to find guys that can." You know, I think within the first couple of years, you've got to make it. You've got to make it fit your guys, and then you can. You know, as you go, you can recruit guys that fit your scheme, and then slowly build. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you're stubborn then he'll never get a chance to recruit guys that fit his scheme because he'll be out of there because the guys that they have currently right now, you know, won't pick up his scheme as fast as he wants them to, and and it'll be a disaster. Um, so he's going to have to do something to, uh, to bridge that gap, and I think just, you know, finding your identity and finding a, uh, a simplified approach is going to, you know, that's going to be his ticket, and that's what he's going to have to do.
0: Okay, Josh.
1: Well, I'm going to circle it back to uh, the team that Dave Aranda just left, and this is a re- reflection yet again on Barry Alvarez being in over his head and one of the worst athletic directors in the Big Ten, which is crazy, but it's true. Um, Dave Aranda's salary went from five hundred and twenty thousand to one point three million by making this move. Barry Alvarez is from an era where assistants are assistants and it's not a collaborative effort for a lot of big name coaches. When you look at their Wikipedia page, it'll show you their coaching tree. That doesn't happen with Barry Alvarez. When you Google Barry Alvarez coaching tree, nothing really comes up. This is a guy who didn't have anyone on his staff to take over for and that he trusted until Brett Bielema, who had been there about two minutes mm. in his 20-year career. And we saw how that happened. We saw how the Gary Anderson era happened. Uh, for those of you who only care about college football and don't really know anything about University of Wisconsin, their once-proud hockey program is currently awful. And, no. and he was handed a perfectly good successor to a wonderful basketball program and is proceeding to try and mess that up, claiming he's going to do a national search, when literally no one he has hired has worked out yet. So this is a reflection on Barry Alvarez being a horrible athletic director and good for Dave Miranda for getting a gig worthy of talent and being paid according to his skill set.
0: All right. Um, well, let's uh, let, let's keep it moving in the uh, SEC West uh, over to Alabama, where um, your old buddy, Coach Jeremy Pruitt, takes over as defensive coordinator.
2: Oh yeah, love this. You know, love this hire for him. I think he was uh, going in the right direction for Georgia. Um, I think the positive thing for him is that he's got a high school background. Um, and I think that's I think that's a positive in his case because you know if you know a lot about what high school coaches do is high school coaches have to spend a lot of time teaching yep and uh there's a lot of teaching that goes on a lot of technique he he's he's a fundamentals guy he's a you know he's a simplified scheme guy he's a guy that wants you to play fast and there's a reason that nobody else was looking at him because he got hired so quickly is Nick Saban one. I mean, there's a reason for all of that, and uh, I think that, you know, he's really good at what he does. You know, I think his, his ego, personally, you know, there's some things that you know I think sometimes he probably thinks a little too highly of himself and operates under that. And I think at Georgia he rubbed a lot of people the wrong way with the way he carried himself, but as a strictly as a coordinator and as a recruiter, phenomenal. I think he'll do great things at Alabama. Um, although it's not really that hard to recruit at Alabama. It's not that it's not really that hard to, uh, you know, I think the, the talent they have at Alabama will make anybody look like a great coach. So um, I think he's got all that going for him. But I think he was starting to turn the Georgia defense around slowly, but surely you, you're starting to see some of those gaps being filled. Um, and I think he's done a tremendous job at Georgia at keeping this, you know, the the cupboard stocked for, Kirby smart. So, um, I like it. I think he's going to be great. Um, I think you're going to see now Bama is going to lose a little bit going from Kirby smart to Pruitt because Kirby smart had been there for so long and been with Saban for so long, um, was an absolute clone of Saban. So I think that, you know, Jeremy Pruitt's going to be the next guy that Saban is going to bring in and groom. So, yeah. um, I like it. Josh. Well, here's a little tin hat moment for
1: you guys about a conspiracy theory. Um, not really a conspiracy, but just an interesting theory. Um, Pruitt played at Alabama in the 90s. He was there '07 to 2012. Yes,
2: in various roles. Yeah, he yep. started as an off-the-field guy. Yeah. in 64.
1: I'm wondering if we haven't talked about coaching waiting for a while because all the schools that did that, it really didn't pan out for them. No, but I'm but I'm wondering if this might be something that's kind of turning through Saban's head right now.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I don't think they're going to come out because it takes a great recruiter off the road. Yeah, I don't think they're going to name him head coach and wait. Mm,
1: no. No, but in five, six years of Pruitt still on that staff and acquits himself quite well, I could see a pretty natural segue.
0: Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Which I guess means that I love the hire. (laughs) All right. Well, let's keep it in the SEC. Uh, heading over to Tennessee, where Bob Shoop uh, jumps off the James Franklin ship and uh, gets on to probably a much steadier ship uh, in Tennessee. Um, so, Josh, I know you are not a big fan of James Franklin, but you gotta you gotta give Shoop some credit for the Penn State defense.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, basically, that defense prevented that team from being about zero and twelve. Um, yeah, Bob Shoop. Uh, Bob Shoop knows football, which is pretty obvious. But Tennessee has lost a little bit of its national footprint. Um, back when they were winning titles or competing for SEC titles, and they're trying to get back there. But what I like about Bob Shoop is not only does he have the bat, the football IQ, and all that, but this is a guy with deep roots in that area. Tenure includes time um, in the Virginia area, in Vanderbilt, Tennessee. He, he's from that area, um, not from where he was born and raised, but the bulk of his professional career is from that area. So I think it's a perfect fit in that regard also.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, he he uh, he was at Vanderbilt for so long. His family really grew to love the state of Tennessee, especially the Nashville area. So uh, I think you have to credit a lot of Penn State's success to him and his recruiting and, and just his overall knowledge. I think that he may be the guy that's going to save Butch Jones's career in, at Tennessee. I think Butch Jones, despite having a pretty good season and beating Georgia – I still think he's kind of on the hot seat. I still think Tennessee fans are, are still in that wait-and-see type deal because he really hasn't done – you know, he really he hasn't broke through and won the East. He hasn't – he's only had one signature win. So I think he's still – you know, they're still kind of –
0: What is this? You're, is this going to be year four
2: for Butch? Yes. It's his make-or-break year.
0: Yeah. Definitely, yeah. I, and, but you know, I think that's actually though bringing in a guy like Shu, who just commands respect, was a great call for that program.
2: Yeah, he, and he brings legitimacy now to to what Butch Jones is doing, and I think that's you know, I think that's what they're looking for, and uh, and they're looking for a good scheme guy.
0: Yeah, and and, and you know, and, and he'll bring that, and he's uh, much know, better than Jansic. Well, that's not saying much. Yeah. So, all right. Well, our last SEC hiring was uh, Texas A&M Offensive Coordinator, Noel Mazzoni. Um, Mazzoni uh, comes over uh, uh, comes over from uh, UCLA, and he is, you know, he, uh, no, he's a definitely a, a different, uh, you know, a little bit of a different guy than you're used to with Kevin Sumlin. So, um, Josh, how do you feel about Mazzoni heading over to the Aggies?
1: It doesn't matter. It's not going to matter at all because Kevin Sumlin is an egomaniac. Kevin Sumlin thinks he can do it all. Newsflash, Kevin Sumlin hasn't done crap since Cliff Kingsbury took the Texas Tech job. It was obviously Kingsbury who ran that offense at Houston and ran it in the early days at Texas A&M. Also, Mazzoni at UCLA. Last time I checked, those were pretty much – Really big, tall, pro-style quarterbacks. I know – I know – what's his face? Uh, The guy before Josh Rosen. Oh. Great fart. Um,
0: uh, Yeah, he's on the Packers now. Yeah. Um,
1: I I know he was – Hunley. Hungley, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I know Brett Hungley had a little bit more mobility than you think of in a pro-style statue quarterback, but – Mazzoni's not going to be working with that at Texas a and M. I don't think it matters. I think Mazzoni just didn't want to be a part of UCLA anymore. I think it's that easy. Because mm-hmm. UCLA yeah. is falling apart as a program also.
2: Yeah, but it, just, it doesn't seem like it makes much sense that he would jump from one sinking ship to another. I, th- I think it's it's getting pretty bad out there in Texas A&M. And, and uh, I don't know. I mean, you see two quarterbacks jumping ship, two that were – you know come in as five stars and just regress the the moment they stepped on campus depreciated kind of like a car's value.
0: Yeah, Kyler Murray looked great early season, by the end of the season he was junk.
2: Yeah, it, it doesn't make any sense that he would And that, game, that he he was would number one quarterback,
0: recruit in the, you know, he was the number one quarterback, number two quarterback recruit in the country. Like you don't you don't see that very
2: often. No, and you know, the play calling was terrible, the development was terrible. I just it didn't make any sense. And I, I think they just had, you know, somebody that was as talented as Johnny Manziel that could go out there and freelance, and it made everyone look a lot better than they actually were.
0: But Johnny was was much better in his freshman year when he had, when he had Kingsbury. So, that is um, true. You know, I think, I think that sounds like three, three thumbs down from the illegal motion on let Mazzoni. <laughs> well, let's yeah. take, let's and, take-
2: and not that Mazzoni's a bad guy. I just think that, you know, he's coming into a program that's ran by an offensive-minded guy who's going to want things done his way. And is it going to be a good fit? I don't know. We'll see, you know, for the sake of Noel Mazzoni, I hope it does. But I just don't have a lot of confidence that it will.
0: All right. Well, let's stick in the state of Texas um, uh, moving from College Station to Austin. Austin where Sterling Gilbert comes in from the Tulsa Golden Hurricane, where he had the number 11 passing offense in the country last year, which is um, very different (laughs) than uh, the Longhorns got last year. So, um, you know, obviously there seems to uh, always be a quarterback controversy brewing in Austin, so he's going to have his hands full there. Uh, Coach, how do you feel about uh, Gilbert making a big step up from uh, Tulsa to Texas?
2: Well, I think he's I think he's taking a huge risk because I think Charlie Strong to say that he's on thin ice would be being nice. Um, I'm surprised he wasn't gone this year, but you know maybe for his sake he's the savior of the program, but that's a lot to, that's a lot to put on the shoulders of somebody coming in to a major job for the first time so i just i don't I don't like it, not because of Sterling Gilbert. You know, not because I think he's some bad coordinator. I just think he's getting himself into a bad situation. And sometimes that, you know, sometimes that's more, sometimes the situation you get into is a lot more important than your talents as a coach. Because I've seen a lot of very talented coaches go into very bad situations and it just changed the course of their career. And it took them years to get out of it to get out of the vortex and some, there were some that probably never recovered. And so he's got to be careful in taking that risk. I mean, there's a reason why, you know, if you look at Auburn, there's a reason why they got turned down five times before they hired Kevin Steele. There's a reason why Mark Rick got turned down five times before you hired Todd Grantham back in 2010. You know, it was a sinking ship at the moment, you know, now Georgia, rebounded a little bit and we'll see if Auburn does we'll see if Texas does but I don't know maybe he's the guy that can come in and do things and take advantage and and use the talent to his to his advantage maybe he's somebody that can work with the quarterback talent they have there um, and and build his scheme around the guys to get the most out of their talent maybe he can be the guy that can do that and maybe they need a, a smaller school type mentality coming in, and maybe maybe that's what they need. I don't know. I don't know what's going to work for them. What I do know is it's a major risk for the, for Sterling Gilbert, and I know that if he gets himself in a bad situation, he may get tied to to Charlie Strong, and he may not get out of it. And he may he might be looking for a job this time next year when he had a pretty good gig at Tulsa. So. I don't know. I, I, I'd love. I want it to work out because I like Sterling Gilbert. I like what they do at Tulsa, and I think he was a. I think he's a good coordinator at Tulsa. It's just going to be. A, he's not going to have time to develop because Charlie Strong is on such thin ice. So he's got to do it now, and that puts a lot of pressure on him. And I'm not sure that he can handle the pressure.
0: Josh,
1: well, I'm going to do this as a two-parter for Sterling Gilbert as a coach. I love him. He was really good at Tulsa. You mentioned that, but look at his tenure before Tulsa. He's a young guy. He's only 37, so he doesn't have much of a tenure. But uh, 2012 till last year, 2014, he was with someone by the name of Dino Babers, who had a pretty good offense at Eastern Illinois and Bowling Green. So Gilbert was a part of that success that Babers had a big reason why Babers got the Syracuse job. I know he wasn't on that staff this year, but, you know, certainly helped Dino along his career path. So I love Gilbert, but I am going to ditto everything Coach said about Texas and just why would you join this ship? And from Texas's perspective, he likes to pass it a lot. And so when you look at the big twelve, you have Mike Gundy, he likes to pass it a lot. You have TCU that has adopted the air out offense. You have Baylor, the best passing team in the country. You have West Virginia with Dana Holgerson. They're a little bit more of a spread. They're not opposed to running the ball. They're kind of like TCU where they do a fair amount of running, but they pass it a ton also. Texas Tech, they're coached by Cliff Kingsbury.
0: Say, no more. Uh, and
1: Say then, no more. So, and then you have Oklahoma that has Lincoln Riley. I know in the second half of the year they started to run P. Ryan more, but I think eventually they want to adopt what Lincoln Riley did at ECU, which was pass it a boatload. So, from my count, that's six teams in a 10-team conference that – are air raid or pass-heavy offenses. How does Texas expect to, you know, gain an edge against these already established offenses?
2: Well, they they figure...
1: I was going to say for Texas's best games this year, they got it done with defense. They got it done with physicality. They need to do something different that makes it hard to game plan for them. If they're the only team in the league... Smashing you in the face and having a physical, brutal style of play—you know, big running back, maybe bring back a fullback. You know, do something off the wall like that that these more finesse teams aren't accustomed to. That would make more sense than trying to follow the leader.
2: Well, here, here's. Here, here's the point. Here's, I'm, I'm going to attempt to try to figure out and get in the mind of the, of the brass at Texas when they made this hire and Charlie Strong. Charlie, Charlie Strong thinks he's got the defense going in the right direction. Right or wrong, he thinks he's got them going in the right direction. He thinks he's going to have a good physical defense. Now, if you look at the players and you look at the systems and, and the way offense is being run in the state of Texas on the high school level, their sp- spread is everywhere. All out! Hurry up! Air raid! Launch it! Launch it around the field fifty-seven times to sixty times is that's everybody in Texas, and I think Texas is trying to reestablish itself as the flagship university in that state. And if they go to that system, they feel like that they can start getting the guys that Baylor's starting to get. They can get the guys out of Dallas, Fort Worth that are that are spread pass happy guys. They can, they feel like they could probably stock their talent on offense faster with this system. And I think that's one of the biggest benefits that they have coming in with Sterling Gilbert. And I think that's their, their, their lasting chance. And then they can make up for and fill the gaps on defense when offense is struggling. And Charlie strong feels like he's an expert enough at defense that he can, that he can recruit the, the physical talent that, that, that he needs on defense. Now, we can get the dime a dozen guys on offense and just fling it around, fl- fling the ball around the yard, hurry up, keep the, keep the tempo up and then kill you on defense and try to have the best of both worlds. That's what he's attempting to do. And I think that's the thinking behind it, the thought process behind it. Now, whether or not that's going to work or whether or not he's too far behind for it to even matter, um, maybe he's trying to, to stop maybe they're trying to hire somebody so they can stock the cupboard for the next guy that comes in or I don't know what their plans are but I, I think that the, the talent height the, the high school talent in Texas I think is has a lot to do with their, their scheme change.
0: All right. Well, I'm actually going to have to – I'm going to skip over the next two guys on our rundown. Oregon – New Oregon Offensive Coordinator Matt Lubick, who was promoted from within, was a wide receivers coach and passing game coordinator. He's been with that program forever. Oregon – the Ducks always like to promote from within. Arizona State hired Chip Lindsey. Um, to, uh, take over for, um, their, uh, departed, um, uh, from departed Mike Norville, who took over for Justin Fuente at Memphis. But, um, to get, uh, to one of the most important hirings of the year, which is bringing, uh, which is Michigan bringing in defensive coordinator Don Brown from, Boston College. Now, Josh, you know my disdain for Boston College. (laughs) I'm going to let you talk here because if I say anything more, I'll put my foot in my mouth.
1: Oh, well, the one thing that I did want to say about Matt Lubick is he is the son of legendary Colorado State coach, Sonny Lubick. So I know it's never exciting to promote from within, but this is a guy that has coaching literally in his DNA and for those of you who don't remember, Sonny Lubick is a guy who won over a hundred games at tiny Colorado State, led them from the whack to the Mountain West, into a boatload of bowl games, and ranked several times. So you can do a lot worse when you're promoted from within. Going with Matt Lubick but in uh, terms,
0: yeah, Don Brown.
1: In terms of Don Brown, yeah, BC's defense under him was absolutely a terror. And if they could have gotten just an average offense, like if their offense could have mustered like 17 points per game last year, they probably would have been in a bowl game. And if they managed to even get up to 21 points per game, they probably could have won their division of the ACC. That's how terrifying his defense was. So obviously I love this hire for Michigan.
2: Coach, I absolutely love it. Um, it's it's a great hire to me. I think you look at what Boston College has done on the defensive side of the ball. You know they're bringing in a phenomenal guy to to take over the program and and what's a uh, steadily rising conference. I think that Jim Harbaugh has has hooked himself to the right guy here, and uh, you know you're you know I, I'm gonna let his, his on field stuff. Talk speak for itself. I mean, you got to – you know, he's number one defense. You know, he's he's going to bring a, a good physical scheme to the Wolverines, and I think that's what you need. You need a guy like that to kind of help bridge the gap and, and try to get you get, try to get you back on plane with Ohio State.
0: Yeah.
1: Definitely. The the other thing that's interesting about Don Brown is, I don't, I'm not sure people know like the past. Careers of defensive coordinators, but he's 60, so he's got a pretty long tenure in his life. But included in his tenure is three head coaching stops, and these weren't disastrous coaching jobs, and that's why he became an assistant again. He was 25 and six at Plymouth State, 27 and 20 at Northeastern, and then absolutely killed it at Massachusetts, 43 and 19. So just not only the defensive acumen, but just overall coaching talent that Don Brown possesses is mighty impressive. Definitely.
0: Well, let's take it full circle. We started with Wisconsin losing Dave Miranda to LSU, and we're going to end with Wisconsin hiring Justin Wilcox, uh, the former defensive coordinator at USC, who was not retained um, when Clay Helton became, uh, got the interim tag taken off of him. Um, you know, Wisconsin fans, I think, are a bit mixed about this. A lot of people wanted uh, outside linebackers coach Tim to, uh, you know to be promoted from within. But, you know, it's going to be interesting. Uh, Wilcox had some really nice uh, defenses at Boise State in Tennessee, where he coached uh, previously, um, and also some really good talent at Washington when he was there. So, Josh, I'm curious what, to see what you think about uh, the Badgers taking on Wilcox. Well,
1: this is a reflection of when you have a terrible athletic director who doesn't know what they're doing. Did His USC defense this year was just Atrocious and all that talent USC has. They were 50th nationally, gave up 26 points per game. Uh, they were 65th in total defense, 400 yards a game allowed with USC's talent. Give me a break. And Matt, I know you kind of sugarcoated it by saying he had some nice defenses at Tennessee and Washington, but this is a what have you done for me lately business. And what he's done for me lately is inspire zero confidence.
2: Yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's kind of a meh hire. You know, I'm kind of just like, eh, it's, it's good. It's not great. Yeah. Not bad. I think they maybe could have done better.
0: Once Aranda left, people were really clamoring for Todd Orlando, the defensive coordinator at Houston, and I think he would have been a much better choice.
2: Yeah, I do too, and I think they could have done better, but – I certainly think that, you know, you get a guy, he's only 39, you know, that you don't realize how young he is um in the grand scheme of things and and he was good at Tennessee, he was good at, at Boise State, he was decent at Washington. You know, he he had, he had a tough go at it at USC. Um I don't know what the circumstances were, but uh the circumstances you were
0: know, that their head coach was drunk.
2: That's true. <laughs> That is true. Maybe he was maybe he was dipping in the sauce with them. I don't know.
0: Oh, I, I certainly <laughs> hope not. But if moving to Wisconsin, that's not a good recipe. If you're already on the sauce, good lord.
2: Yeah, no, I'm kidding. Um, but uh, you know, we'll, only time will tell, I guess, and and we'll see what he what he's got. I, I guess, I guess Wisconsin saw something that we didn't all see. Uh, by watching, saw that he was cheap
0: that that's what it was you know the reason they didn't go to orlando cuz orlando was already being paid more at the university of houston than oranda was being paid at wisconsin so um, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it on that um, because I I've got to wrap this thing up because I have uh, I have a basketball game to get to so um, yeah Clippers Warriors right Clippers Warriors big game tonight so uh, should be fun so um, uh, so that's gonna finish up our latest podcast here but uh, make sure that you are checking out our Facebook page keeping in touch with us on Twitter and shoot us an email well uh, we're gonna be doing a, a an email show here down the line so get your questions in to illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com so on behalf of the coach cory burton in nashville tennessee and our blogger josh cook in chicago illinois i'm the professor matt perkins in los angeles saying so long and see you next time on the illegal motion college football podcast go clippers thanks for listening to the illegal motion college football podcast to get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.